Hope you guys are all doing great. We're going to continue our journey through the Gospel of John uh, as we uh, go into John chapter 15. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn and prepare yourselves for John 15. Uh, But before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this time we can gather as your people, that we can gather as this body and praise your name. Lord, we pray for this time as we open up your word that you bring it to life in our hearts and our minds that we can understand who you are, that we can understand what Jesus has done for us. Lord, I pray that we as a church can be moved to follow you with all of who we are. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Life hacks are everywhere. Do you guys know what a life hack is? It's one of those novelty methods. Is any trick or shortcut used for a particular task that's supposed to guarantee more productivity or effectiveness? The little tricks that people try to use to make their life easier or more simple? You go online and you can look up life hacks and you'll find articles such as <clears throat> 1,000 life hacks to improve your life in one hack at a time. And it has a subtitle, Start Living Your Life to the Fullest. That's a big promise from a life hack. You'll find other articles that says 20 awesome life hacks that will simplify your life. Or 8 life hacks for 8 household chores. It seems like people are obsessed with some handle, some key, something that can simplify life. They're obsessed with finding that one little trick that maybe will make their life fuller or better or simpler or just more productive or more effective or whatever they're longing for. People are looking for that. And Christians are the same. We're looking for that key, that handle that we can get on the Christian life and we're looking for something that just kind of sums it up or makes it easier to follow Christ or makes it more accessible to us. We're looking for a life hack for Christianity. And Christian publishers have picked up on this because you can even buy the Life Hack Study Bible that promises tools to make your spiritual life more effective. And I'm not Dishing, dissing that because I, I'm sure it has great tools for a believer to follow Christ. But we are all looking for that something, that key, that handle on the Christian life, on life itself. And the truth is that the key to the Christian life is Christ's life in the Christian. That the key to following Christ, the key to being what we would call a Christian, someone who believes in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, is the very fact that Christ dwells in us and us in Him. And this is what John 15 tells us. When we come to John chapter 15, we see this image, we're presented with the truth that we need to be in Christ. And that when Christ is connected to us and us connected to Christ, that is the key for the Christian life. 
Theologians have talked about it in different terms. They talked about the union we have with Christ, that when we accept Christ as our Savior, when we come to believe the truth of who He is, that He is dwelling with us and we are dwelling with Him, and that what is ours, our sin, goes to Him and is paid for on the cross, and what is His, His righteousness, His correct standing with God, is given to us. The key for the life is us and Him and Him and us, us together. It empowers us to follow Him. It it, we, and when we believe, the Bible talks us believing into Christ, that Christ is in us and us in Christ. So here are your Bibles. You can turn to John chapter 15 as we see this truth played out as Jesus says this about himself and about us. Starting in verse 1, John 15 says, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you, have, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have, I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. If we abide in Christ, we will bear fruit in life. That's what Jesus is telling us. If we abide in Christ, we will bear fruit in life. He is telling us that the key to the Christian life is our union with Christ. That Him being in us and us being Him, it empowers us, it enables us, it motivates us, it strengthens us to live for Christ. To live out the commands He's given us. But how do we follow Christ? We abide in Him. We are connected with Him. Where we remain in Him. And by doing so, we can now follow Him wherever He leads. That This is ex expressing a reality. That our reality is changed by our union with Christ. That before we knew Christ, before we were in Christ, we were sinners and rebels living for ourselves. Our reality has changed when Christ comes into our life where we become saints who serve and worship the only God. And this result, this change of our reality results in a life change. 
that we start to live for God. Our words change. How we interact with people changes. How we go to work changes. How we treat our family changes. Everything starts to change working out from that inward reality that we're in Christ. And in other words, we start to bear fruit. We start to produce the things of a Christian life because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. If we abide in Christ, we will bear fruit in life. This is what Jesus is telling us. And he uses an image to illustrate this. The vine and the branches. Most likely, an image we've heard many times. If you grew up in the church or been in a church for any length of time, most likely you've heard this passage before. The vine and the branches. Jesus says, I am the, I am the vine and you are my branches. But he makes this I am statement. I am the true vine. This is the last I am statement in the Gospel of John. He's already made six, some might say seven, of these I am statements. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Before Abraham, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, the life. I am the resurrection life. I am the door. He's made these statements before, but now he comes to the last one. He says, I am the true vine. There's a subtle difference there. And all the other ones, he says, I am, and then states what he is. But now he's saying, I am the true vine. For something to be the true something, there has to be a false something. And so for him to say, I am the true vine, he is purposely comparing himself, contrasting himself with another vine that people put their hope in. So what is this other vine that Jesus says that he is the fulfillment of, the better one, the true one of? Well, we know from Isaiah 5 that Isaiah starts talking about a vine and it's revealed in Isaiah 7 that this vine is Israel that people put their hope their trust in the fact that they were Jewish that they were of God's people and that if they were connected to this vine then they would have life they would have a security with the father and Jesus comes along and says I am the true vine that means if you want to get to God you're in me you're no longer in a nation if you want to have peace with God, you're, you're, it's no longer about who your mother was or who your father was or what tribe you come from, but it's about whether you believe in me and follow me. He's saying, I am the true vine, that the only way to please the gardener is to be in me, to be connected to me, to be my disciples. He's saying that he is the fulfillment of, of everything Israel was supposed to be. Hey, Israel was supposed to be the holy nation that would be the light upon the hill that would pull people from all corners of the earth into knowing who God was. And Jesus says, they did not live up to what they were called to do, but I'm the fulfillment that does it perfectly. And if you're in me, you are the fulfillment of what Israel was supposed to be. So remain, abide in me, he calls. This is the command, this urging that he gives his disciples. That I am the vine and you are the branches. And he says, abide in me. Depending on your translation, that word minnow, abide, is, uh, is, can be translated many different ways. Some, you might be reading a translation that maybe has remain. Remain in me or dwell in me or continue in me or, or even endure in me. It carries a sense of the state of we remain, we're continuing with Christ. 
And this word abide, sometimes I think we get confused because it's easy to start thinking of abide with, with um, emotions or experience. And so we say, man, I'm really abiding with Christ when I'm feeling spiritual. Or I'm abiding with Christ when everything seems to be going right. Or I'm abiding with Christ when God is doing what I want him to do. And we kind of make it experience and emotional. And then when we feel kind of cold or when we feel kind of dry or we really don't want anything to do with God, we say, man, I'm really disconnected. And we try to have this sense of making this abiding emotion or experience. But what Jesus is talking about is more of a fixed reality, a state of being, of identity. If you believe in Jesus, you have a new identity. You are now connected to him and remain as a branch. That You're connected to him and that's where your life comes from. And then we're urged to continue that connection to take care of it, to actually communicate and be with what we're connected to, Jesus. And this image is powerful because it makes sense to us. If you've ever tried to grow something, you know the reality that branches need to be connected to a plant, a vine, right? This image is of of the life-giving nature that if a branch is connected to the vine, sap flows from the vine into the branch and there's life there. There's connection there. And adversely, if the branch doesn't get any sap from the vine, it dies, it withers, it falls off. So Jesus is using this image that I think is pretty powerful. And if, you, if you've dealt with plants, you know that, that life comes from the base to the branches. If you remember your eighth grade biology, the xylem and the phloem, water and the nutrients are flowing back and forth in this plant, and that is where the branch gets life. And so is with the Christian. That when we're connected to Christ, life comes from Him. Nutrients flows from Him into us, and we now have a new life that we can live for Him is that we're connected to him, and that is where life comes from. And if we're disconnected, not getting what we need from him, then we are dead. We have a couple of trees in our backyard that love to shed branches like all the time. And they, they fall down, and they hit our roof, and a storm comes, and there's new branch that seems dangling from our tree or on the ground every single day. And when you pick them up, they're dead. They're brittle. They bust apart. Why? Because they haven't been connected to a tree probably in some time. And what do I do with them? I break them up and I burn them in the fire. And and Titus loves it and he dances around it. (laughs) Because we have a little fire pit. And that's what you do with dead things, right? And Jesus is making that analogy that if someone's not connected with me, they have no life. Why? Because I am the only place where life flows from and a part of that life flowing out of the vine to the branches is that these branches bear fruit there's a result things start to grow life 
gives life. And when you read this, that he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask whatever you wish. But then he says, if you remain in me, you bear fruit. And we see this, this instance of this fruit, and we start thinking, what does that mean? And we maybe think about other times that the Bible has used this image of fruit, and so maybe we think of the fruit of spirits. That, that if, I said spirit, spirit. If we're, if we're connected to Christ and we have the spirit in us and that produces fruit in us and we can think of those, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, um, faithfulness, and self-control. I wrote them down, don't worry. So I didn't miss, so I didn't miss any of them. But we have the, the fruit of the spirit flowing out of us like it is produced because we're connected to Christ. Or maybe more generally, you can think of just the godly life and the actions that are start to come to be when we're connected to Christ. Again, that inward change that has changed us and it works its way out into our everyday life where we start living for Christ, loving like Christ, pointing to Christ, speaking like Christ again and again, growing and producing this fruit. And that makes sense. If you want an apple, you go to an apple tree. Because apple trees produce apples. Orange trees produces oranges. A peach tree would produce peaches. A Christian produces Christian fruit. Because that's how we are. That's who we are. Our nature has been changed to produce outcomes, results in our life that mirror and reflect who Christ is. If we abide in Christ... We will bear fruit in life. And God is committed to us bearing fruit. So much so that Jesus says he prunes every branch that does not bear fruit so that it will bear more fruit. Pruning is one of those, I think, counterintuitive things about plants. That you hack off a plant, parts of a plant, to make it grow more things. doesn't make sense to my mind, but that's true. If you ever had a, a rose bush, you, you can prune it, and all of a sudden it produces more roses. Or if you have plants, you can trim them, and it produces more fruit. My mom pointed out, uh, actually just yesterday, uh, that you know how they get those prize-winning pumpkins that are gigantic? They cut out everything else so that all the life, all the nutrients are poured into one fruit. And it gets a big one. Pruning produces more. It, can, it focuses, it shapes a plant into what the gardener wants it to be. And God is so committed to us bearing fruit that he prunes us. That he takes his knife and starts cutting away everything that is dead in our life. Everything that does not feed from him. He hacks it off so that we produce more fruit. For him. And pruning can hurt. For pruning takes a sharp knife and cuts off things we might care about. But God is more committed to us bearing fruit than we should be committed to our comfort. That God loves us so much, he's not content to let us stay just a weak little branch that does not produce fruit, but he loves us so much that he's going to take his pruning knife and he's going to get to work to shape us and mold us and make us something better, so he make us something more beautiful, make us something more productive than we could ever dream. He's going to make us more like his son. 
And so he prunes us, he shapes us so that we grow and become more and more like his son. This means that these difficulties that we go through in life, on one hand, we might view them as, man, life has just got me down and these things are happening and I don't understand it. But on the other hand, we should and can view them that God is at work in my life and he's using those things to shape me, to grow me, so I can bear, bear more fruit for him. He's pruning something that is dead out of my life. That he's growing me, he's committed to me, that he's, he's, he's working in me. That when we, remember, when we see the sharp pain of stuff being cut out of our lives, we can focus on the pain or we can focus on the one who's wielding that blade. And it's a reminder that he's committed to us. That he loves us, he wants us to grow. He wants us to be more like his son, he wants us to bear fruit. Disciples bear fruit because God will not stop until they do. He'll use everything in life, for he is in control of everything, to mold us and shape us how he will. Which means there's, there's at least two facts that should give us encouragement and that we hold on to as we're going through life that can be hard and difficult. And number one is that there are no accidents in the Christian life. There are no accidents. That's hard for us to accept because God is so big and we can't understand how he's using our pain and he's using suffering and he's using some horrible things, but he uses everything to mold us and shape us and the circumstances we find ourselves in are God's tools to prune us so that we can bear fruit in our life and that we trust not uh, in our, how well our circumstances are going, but we trust the one who is bigger than them, more powerful than them and who's orchestrating them for his glory. This also means that there is no waste in a Christian's life. That when something is pruned off me, and man, that's a waste. I can't believe that just, that's gone. I can't do that. No, that was to serve a purpose to grow us. That the energy invested in it being pruned by God means that he's using that to grow us and direct us where he wants us to go. Sinclair Ferguson, a pastor and author, says this, God knows what he is doing in every situation in our lives, not least in our darkest moments. Pain, times of disappointment, and sorrow all serve as his pruning knife. God is pruning us to grow us to be like his son. Why is he so concerned that his disciples bear fruit? Verse 8 tells us, when we bear fruit, we prove that we are Jesus' disciples. We show the truth of who is in our life. We show the truth that we're connected to Christ. And this is a bold verse that flies in the face of our culture. For our culture is one of, only God can judge me. Our culture is one of, I can believe whatever I want, but it doesn't need to affect my actions. And right here it's saying, your actions, your fruit, how you live, show what you're connected to. This verse is saying, the world should be looking at your fruit and judging who you are. That rubs us the wrong way. Who are those people to judge us? 
But Jesus is saying, that's how you prove that you're one of mine. That you're connected with me. You remain in me. You abide in me. And my life flows into you. It changes who you are. You start to change how you live. And people see godly fruit being produced in their life. And they cannot help but notice. And say, that person knows Jesus. This doesn't mean that we don't slip up and we don't fail and we don't mess up and we don't sin and we don't make total fools of ourselves. I do that almost every day. But what this means is that fruit is growing. And just like fruit takes time, so godly fruit in our life can take time. But God is working. The sap is flowing. Life is giving life. And little by little, more fruit starts to grow. And people can see that and know that Christ is at work and we're changed. If we abide in Christ, we'll bear fruit in life. I've been pretty general about what fruit looks like, a godly life, maybe the fruits of the Spirit, but this passage doesn't leave us hanging. It gives us clear examples of what fruit developed in a Christian life looks like. And so I'm just going to run through some of these, and we see the truth of it, that these should be produced in a believer's life. And the first one is that if we abide in Christ, if we remain in Christ and He remains in us, we have answered prayer as a fruit of the Christian life. That prayer, if we go back to this analogy of the vine and branches, is like the nutrients that flow back and forth between the vine and in the branches. Prayer is that communication that we have with God, and God you know, it, it listens to us and responds to us. And in any relationship, communication is key. If you're married, most likely you know that when communication is a slightly askew, life ain't happy. Communication is key with any relationship. And so prayer is part of that communication. And I love how, how Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and be given to you. And so we have this promise, this cycle that we see, that in response to God's word, because that's how we always live, in response to what he said in his word, we come to God and we pray. And when we pray, our prayers, because we're in response to God's word, are now founded on his word, are influenced by his word, are guided by his word. And so we pray what he wants us to and when God hears that, he's glad and happy to respond to us. Why? Because we're praying his word back to him. And so God responds to us, and he, he grants us requests because it's been found in his word, and that drives us back to his word to praise him. And we can almost think of it as a cycle, that the word comes, we pray, and he prays and answers prayers according to his word. And so we remain in his word, and we remain in him, and we ask what we wish and be given to us. This promise is that if we're connected, if we're abiding, if we're remaining, we have the, the great privilege of approaching the throne of grace and saying, God, hear are my prayers, my petitions, for I know that you are a God who loves me, who cares for me, who wants me to grow like your son. And we can bring those to him, and he responds. When we, we, we abide in him, remain in him when his word is dwelling richly in us we pray as he would wish and he responds people like to take this and they like to take the promise and separate from the word and so they like to take prayer and say oh if we ask whatever we wish he'll give it to us 
and they forget the part about if we have the word remaining in us and if we remain in him. You can't separate those things. You can't separate prayer from word and you can't separate the word from prayer. That the word drives you to prayer and when we pray it should be based and founded on the word. And so people say this verse doesn't make sense. It doesn't, it's not provable. It doesn't happen because I asked for my Ferrari and it has yet to pull up outside my house. That's a perversion of what the scripture says. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, if you abide in me and my words are abiding in you, then we're going to be changed and transformed and we're going to be praying the thing as God wants us to pray, that we grow and we're, and we're changed to be more like his son. And God is answering those prayers. So a fruit is, of us being in Christ, is answered prayer. Another fruit that comes from being connected to Christ is obedient love. People want to separate obedience from love. They actually might say it sounds downright unloving that you require obedience. But we've seen this before. We've seen this in chapter 14. We've seen this in chapter 13. We've seen this, this urge that there's this obedient love that happens, that when we love Christ, we're obedient to his commands. We follow what he has asked. And he says again, that if you love me, you're going to do what I've, what I've commanded you. You're going to do my commandments. And that's how you demonstrate your love. What this is not saying is that we live a certain way to gain Christ's love. For that's not true. Christ loved us before time even began. Christ loved us even when we're sinners. Christ loves us in spite of who we are and our obedience. But once we realize the obedience of the love of Christ, once we realize what he's done for us, once we realize how he'll move heaven and earth for us, once we realize that he'll go to the cross for us, we are changed and we want to love him. We show our love through obedience to what he's commanded. Changed life, changed actions shows that we love. If I said again and again to my wife, I love you, which hopefully I do enough, I love you, but my life did not reflect that love, do I love her? Our culture would say, oh yeah, you do, because that's what you said. And the Bible will say, no, you don't. You don't love her. It's lip service. There's no change. If you love her, you can say you love her, and you should say you love her. But then your life should reflect it in the small things and the big things. That you start serving her, you start working for her, that you do things to benefit her and not maybe just yourself. In the same way, same way with, the, with the Christian. That when people say, I love Christ, and yet they continue to live in persistent, unrepentant sin, then the Bible says they don't love Christ. And that sounds harsh, and that sounds unloving for someone to say, but that's what the Word says. This is not someone who's struggling with something and, and battling something. The Christian life is a battle. Every single day we wake up and we put on the armor of God and we go to, uh, to war against our sin that dwells in us and we fight it. This is not someone who has tripped and messed up. This is not someone who has made a, a mistake here and there. This is someone who wakes up in the morning and knows this is wrong. This is not how I should live, but yet walks in that way and yet still says they know Christ. If we judge a Christian by their fruit, we are called to say, listen, my friend. 
listen to what the Word says. That is not in alignment with what and how we're supposed to live. That one of the fruits of the Christian life is obedient love. You follow. And it takes time and effort just like all this fruit does and you might stumble and you might trip along the way but i'm going to walk beside you i'm going to help you carry you i'm going to direct you again and again to fix your eyes on christ for that's the only way we can do this but we're called to have that life change that fruit of obedient love and we're called to have that fruit of a full joy I love what verse 11 says. When it says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That Christians are supposed to have joy, and not just any joy, but full joy. And for those Eeyores, like myself, in this life, that we're prone to go, oh, woe is me. And, you know, we're prone to say it's raining, that figures. Or, you know, we're prone to look on the negative side of life. This is such an important reminder for us that we have joy in this life. We have joy because we're connected to Christ. For just think about this. In spite of our sin, in spite of how weak we are, in spite of how often we fall, in spite of our wayward hearts, in spite of our wandering eyes, in spite of all of that, Christ loves us. Christ came to save us. Christ pulls us into God's family. Christ gives us a new identity. Christ calls us co-heirs with Him. Christ says, what is mine is now yours. Christ says, those blemishes, those spots, that sin, I'll take care of it. Christ says, you are now in, Christ, in God with me. You are now a son and daughter of the Most High. What could give us more joy than that? You can't find a parking spot? Your day is going a little tough? The world might be collapsing on you. I know the pain that life can bring. But even in the face of the darkest moments of our life, the fact that we're connected to Christ, that He is in us and we're in Him, that we abide there and this is our reality, brings us a joy that cannot be defeated. Brings us a joy that surpasses all of our understanding. Brings us a joy that should be guiding and directing all of our life. And we have full joy, and that happens as a fruit of being in Christ. I love how one commentator put it like this. He brings us into his joy, and as a result, our joy is filled to the brim. Jesus takes his big gulp of joy, and he puts our small Dixie cup of joy right in it. We are not only full of joy, we're engulfed by it. Joy above, joy below, joy around, joy under, joy over, joy everywhere. That's what verse 11 is saying, that he brings us into his joy. You're not feeling joyful? Don't worry. Joy, Christ has joy abounding. He'll give it to you. 
He'll let it wash over you. It'll change you and guide you. If we abide in Christ, we will bear fruit in life. And then one last fruit we have. There's more, but this passage highlights sacrificial love. Love's not only obedient, but love is sacrificial. He says, love like I have loved. He said this before. This is not a new commandment, even though in, verse, in chapter 13 he tried to say it is a new commandment. No, this is what we're called to do. Love like he has loved. That we love to the extent that he's loved. That true love is the most high experience of love in our life is not romantic. It's not erotic. It's sacrificial. That the greatest love we can experience is when someone gives of themselves for us. And Jesus says it. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. It's the greatest love we can give the greatest love we can experience is sacrificial love as we give ourselves for someone else. And that can only happen if we're abiding in Christ. His life flowing, working in us, changes us. And we live for His glory. And we live for others' benefit. We live for others' good. And we love sacrificially. If we abide in Christ, we're bear fruit. In life. So we're called to bear fruit, and this is a result of us being in Christ. And another result is that we have a friend in Jesus. I'll just confess to something. Um, I like to think of myself as a high minded theologian. Um, don't laugh. <laughs> I like to think of myself going deep in the things of God. And so when I hear friend, and when Jesus says, you're my friend, I have a tendency to skip over that. Oh, he's just a friend. What does that mean? I skip over it. When people sing songs, I have a friend in Jesus, or something like that, i like, man, that's pretty shallow. But I'll tell you, reading this again in the context of wishes given, reading this again and being confronted with reality, I was actually convicted and this idea of friend is no small thing at all. For once again, when we see who is saying it, it should rock us to the core. When we see that the Almighty, that God, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, who came down in flesh, who bared and endured sin, who, who, but did not sin, who endured opposition, who went to the cross for us, who lived a sinless life, who gave of himself fully for us, who, who <clears throat> died and rose for us, who now is ascended into heaven and sitting on the right a hand of God for us, when we know that he set the stars in the sky, when we know that through him God created all that there is for this person, this Jesus, to look upon his followers and say, you are now my friends, shows a personal intimacy that should confound us and amaze us and bring us to our knees. That God was not just a God in heaven saying, do this, but God is the one who comes into our life and says, I am with you. I am walking with you. I am bearing you when you cannot take a step further. For I am your friend. And everything that God has told me, I have told you. 
that you have my word to follow me and I'm your friend who will never let go. I'm your friend that always has your back. I'm your friend who intercedes with God for you. I am the friend who is going to return and set everything right. And on that day when we stand before the judgment throne, our hope is that our friend sits upon it. Our friend who loved us to the extent of death, our friend who is moving heaven and earth so that we grow to become more like him, and he looks upon us and says, you have remained in me. You are mine. And that's all that matters. That friend with Jesus is mind-blowing. And that happens because we have this changed reality that we're in Christ and Christ is in us. And that changed reality starts to produce fruit in our life. For if we abide in Christ, we will bear fruit in life. So let's start producing fruit, shall we? As Christ dwells and works richly in us. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for you are good. You are merciful. Your love endures forever and we praise your holy name. Lord, I pray for everyone here, for all of us, as we are confronted with the truth of John 15, that we can be encouraged. That we're, that we're encouraged and built up of this truth that you have connected us with you. That's our reality now. And we can be encouraged and power, energized and motivated to now live for you and all that we do. That we follow you and bear fruit as you called us to do so. Lord, we love you. We seek you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.